if it's heads, the vaccine makers win. It's tails also, the vaccine makers win as well, because the vaccine proved to be effective. A good portion of the population, which was, you know, hesitant in getting the third boosters, may be more willing to get that third booster shot now. But if it's not effective, a lot of the vaccine makers have come out and said they could quickly reconfigure the formula over the next couple of months. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The Omicron variant is the latest news to shake markets, but it's too early to tell its virulence, vax effectiveness, or the ultimate impact on our pandemic journey. In today's episode, Chris Heeks, Alfred Lee, and your host, Mark Rays, unpack a busy news week with strategies to navigate the variant uncertainty, a Black Friday boost for consumer discretionaries, the launch of a new ETF that can help with tax loss selling, and they also discuss how Santa is poised to arrive early for Canadian bank investors. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Ray's head of product for BMO Game Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate your time. For today's session, we're joined by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee. Both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Well, certainly a lot of news in the markets for us to cover this week. Uh, I think the biggest is the rise of a new variant now, Omicron, uh, which is certainly making markets a little bit shaky, a bit of a shock, I think, as people keep Coming up in their minds, I think that we're that we're moving through COVID, but it keeps coming back to bite us. So, with the current thinking that perhaps this new variant is is more transmissible, but clearly it's in early days. Again, markets are feeling a little bit of a shock. So, what are your thoughts around positioning? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. And you know, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, and you know, it's nice to see the market is bouncing back, kind of pre-market this morning. Um, but, you know, last Friday, you know, November 26 was, you know, that looked like a day straight out of March 2020. So when that, you know, news of the Omicron kind of came out, really, it, you know, seemed to be almost overnight um, out of South Africa, you know, and further news that it spread to a few countries really gave markets a shock. And if you look at the market dynamics of what happened that day, you know, really, like I said, very similar to March 2020, you had cyclicals. Uh, like financials and REITs, um, which had been on their way back, underperformed. You saw that work from home trade in the tech, you know, outperform. And, you know, time is going to tell, obviously, how long-lasting it is. I, I agree. It's kind of, I think, nice to hear for all of us that potentially it's not, not as severe as originally thought. And probably because of that reason, we're seeing a bounce back in markets. Now, I think markets were, you know, we talked about, you know, at a little bit of a fragile inflection point. And I think one thing that perhaps made this more challenging was, you know, we're dealing with tapering, we're, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of rate hikes potentially in 2022. And I think that, you know, just added to the general kind of, um, you know, investor 
call it negative sentiment that that kind of led to that selling on Friday. But you know, we're seeing a bounce back. You know, in terms of playback and on how to play that. Um, obviously, number one, we always say stick to your asset allocation is key. Um, but within those equities, you know, we've been advocating for quality and dividends recently. I still think those are really two good go-to approaches from the equity point of view. Um, quality was, you know, um, outperformed the most during the sell-off uh, last year. So if we did see, you know, Omicron really lead to, you know, new not lockdowns and certainly knock on wood, that's not going to be the case. Um, quality is a factor that's outperformed. Um, but I also like dividends as well because of, you know, I do think that reopening trade is, is still going to be happening and playing out, just maybe taking a little longer than expected. I think one thing you want to look out for is, is the rate increases with equities. And if you look at what's going to perform uh, better with rate increases, I think dividends and those kind of old world, more old world economy type stocks, you know, can offer more value in, in that kind of market. Um, there is some concern about rising rates and the impact on tech. Now, quality is overweight tech, but remember the tech companies in quality are the really cash generative ones like Apple, Google, Facebook, and they get money up front. So when you talk about interest rates hurting tech, you're more talking about the growth companies where their earnings are further out into the future, less so about quality. So, you know, I think the, the playbook is, you know, we have to, uh, you know, put our long-term investing hat on, stick to the plan, have that right asset allocation. Um, two, two factors I would look at though are, quality and dividends. And, you know, we have those strategies that can be played in, in multiple markets, um, you know, around the world. And I think those are, you know, great strategies to lean into as we, you know, see volatility tick up this fall and, and perhaps in the next year as well with, with further policy announcements or, or developments of the Omicron. So I think quality and dividends are, are good places to, to hang your hat on right now. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And noting that you tied it into, of course, concerns about rising rates as well. So I think a lot of advisors are still looking to to be overweight on the equity side of the book. But as as you say, perhaps going into some more defensive growth uh, certainly makes some sense. Now, related to this, uh, let's look at some of the names that, that might be more involved from a healthcare perspective. So we can talk about U.S. healthcare and genomics. Um, how is that been impacting that segment of the market uh, as well as, as you look forward to how these companies might be positioned a bit differently into 2022 and beyond. Thanks. Yeah, so for healthcare, you know, healthcare is a sector that um, definitely benefited from the Omicron news. So vaccine makers in particular, I think that's a segment of the market that's really um, outperformed over the last couple of days. So when you look at Moderna, uh, Moderna's up uh, in the range of 29% since the news broke out um, last Thursday. So, you know, Moderna is obviously more of a pure play on the mRNA va- uh, vaccine, given that its pipeline is um, less diverse than, you know, let's say a Pfizer, um, given that its pipeline is all you know, mRNA-related vaccines. Pfizer also, you know, as I mentioned, with a much more diversified product line, um, they're up 5.6% since the news as well. So that's definitely, you know, two names that have benefited and also held within you know, ZUH, which is our uh, healthcare ETF that have, you know, benefited from this news. Um, but right now, you know, to Chris's point, you know, it, it's it's really unknown whether uh, a lot of the current vaccines provide any protection against the new strain. Um, there's reports coming out of South Africa and other jurisdictions where, you know, the new virus has popped up where, um, you know, people that are double vaccinated are uh, getting infected. So we are seeing some breakthrough cases. So um, right now, you know, there's a 
a lot of studies going on on whether um, the vaccine is going to be effective. But unfortunately, we're not going to know until another uh, week or two, given that you know the typical incubation period for the virus is typically two weeks. So um, we're not going to know until mid-December whether the vaccine is going to be effective. But you know, the way the market is reading into this is basically if it's heads, the vaccine makers win. Uh, if it's tails, the vaccine makers win as well, because the vaccine proved to be effective. A good portion of the population, which was you know hesitant in getting the third boosters, may be more willing to get that third booster shot now. But uh, if it's not effective, a lot of the vaccine makers have come out and, and said they could quickly reconfigure the formula over you know the next couple of months. Right now, uh, it definitely seems like a lot of pharmaceutical companies are going to tackle this using a combination of vaccines and also therapeutics as well. Uh, so for ZUH and ZHU, which is the unhedged version, um, you know, this is a good way to get exposure to not only the vaccine makers, but also a lot of therapeutics as well. So names like Regeneron, uh, Merck, which also recently came out with a COVID pill, which got approved in the UK. Um, but overall, when you look at the healthcare sector, you know, one thing it will stress is that it's more, much more than just, you know, COVID-related headlines. Uh, the longer-term trend in play is, you know, the aging demographics. So we've always talked about, you know, a good portion of the population that's 65 and older. So that segment of the population is expected to notably increase over the next uh, coming decades, not just in the U.S., but globally as well. Um, Biden's Build Back Better Act, so the infrastructure bill that got passed a couple of weeks ago, that's expected to expand uh, a number of healthcare programs. So Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is also known as Obamacare, those are all uh, going to be expanded uh, under the new infrastructure bill. Um, so as I mentioned, I think when you look at uh, the healthcare sector and, and ZUH, um, there's a number of trends in place. The short-term trend is more COVID-driven. Uh, the midterm trend is kind of more driven by the Biden infrastructure bill, but then long-term, it's going to be driven by you know, the aging demographic. And if I could quickly touch on ZGen, which is our gen genomics innovation ETF, the one way to look at this ETF is essentially it's um, an easy way to get exposure to a lot of the cutting-edge technologies in the, in the healthcare space. Um, so this is an area that's identified by the World uh, Economic Forum as you know, one of those areas that we're going to see a massive leap in innovation uh, over the next decade and, and two decades. So uh, in ZGen, you're getting exposure to a lot of names like uh, the ones we talked about, Moderna, BioNTech, but also a lot of names that you know, aren't necessarily top of mind for a lot of investors. So CRISPR, uh, Chemocentrics, Codexis, uh, again, you know, these aren't as well known. But if you look at the stock price performance, um, they're up, you know, um, notably over the last couple of months because they have been showing a lot of innovation uh, within the genomic space. So, again, uh, ZUH and ZHU, that's a good way to get exposure to the broader healthcare sector, which is, you know, playing the short-term trends and, and some of the longer-term trends. But ZGen uh, is getting exposure to the more innovative companies, so potentially finding, you know, the next Tesla or the next Googles in the healthcare space. Great. Thanks, Alfred. And that's certainly a couple of uh, high-returning names that you teased there. So certainly, if you're looking to get invested in that trend, ZGen is a, is a great way to go about that with that precise exposure. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. 
Tune in to episode 75 in the same podcast series where we take a deeper look at genomics-focused ETFs, including the BMO MSCI Genomic Innovation Index ETF, ticker ZGen. Learn how this new frontier in healthcare can deliver long-term benefits for growth-oriented investors. I want to turn now to another story that I'm sure advisors are paying a lot of attention to, which is really two things tied into one. One is that bank earnings are are coming out soon, right around the corner. Uh, So your thoughts there on positioning around banks, but as well, uh, knowing that we've recently put out a piece, Chris, that you did on uh, rising dividends in the the Canadian sector there, uh, perhaps tie that together on your expectations on what the banks may do with with their dividends. Thanks. Uh, for sure. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, thanks for the shout on the piece. But yeah, just to quickly summarize that, we looked at all the Canadian companies that are are increasing dividends or expected to increase dividends uh, this year. And there's been quite a few of them. And it shows you there's a lot of resilience, just been a lot of bounce back in, um, in the underlying businesses. Um, we also show the appeal of taking a dividend-based approach in Canada and how well that's worked in the Canadian equity market. So having exposure to dividend growers and, and dividend payers uh, reducing exposure to non-dividend paying stocks has not only historically benefited return, it's also lowered risk. So investing in dividend strategies, whether it's a ZDV or a ZWC with a cover call overlay, you know, has been really, really effective in, in Canada. So, you know, nice piece there that hopefully will make its way into the hands of, of, of our listeners. Um, but, you know, front and center of that piece for sure has been banks. And as we know, Oxby. Uh, relaxed their restriction. That was a pandemic-related restriction about not only increasing dividends, but also buying back stocks. Um, Canadian banks were abs- were or are, you know, flush with capital. Um, and, and, you know, as expected, we've actually had three banks now report in the last two days. We've had Royal Bank of Nova Scotia, National Bank. Um, all three of them have raised their dividends. If you look at uh, Royal Bank and Bank of Scotia, uh, 11% increase, and National Bank increased their uh, dividend by 23%. So clipping about a, you know, call it a 15% average dividend increase, kind of right in line with where we saw, um, where, where, we, where we thought that might go. You know, banks have a lot of capital, and to get to that historic payout ratio, these dividends simply had to go higher. You know, what's also a little bit maybe understated is that um, these banks are all, you know, now have permission and, and, and have an intention to buy back stock, you know, kind of on average about up to 3% of stock. And as we know, that that just adds kind of fuel to the fire in terms of, of um, you know, stock price appreciation and, and also results, tends to result in capital gains, which is tax efficient. So buybacks are back on the table. Dividend increases are coming through. And if you look at the underlying earnings, they're relatively in line. Scotia beat on earnings and, and what you know really happened there is they were they were punished down just about the most of any bank due to their international businesses during COVID. They're starting to see a resurgence in their international businesses. So they had a solid beat. Uh, Royal and, and National, more of an inline type performance in terms of analyst expectations. They finally, I think the analysts caught up to where the stocks are right now. But you know, very good and healthy underlying numbers. Generally we've seen the PCL, so the provision for bad loans, have you know, again, coming in slightly smaller than expected, not nearly as big an issue as it was a year ago, but, you know, nice to see credit risk has been essentially contained from, from that perspective. And then you're seeing the benefits of those banks where, you know, now trading revenue has taken a little bit of a backseat. You know, when there's higher volatility, you tend to see higher, higher capital markets trading revenue. 
But on the other hand, as tra- trading revenue goes down, now you're seeing wealth, wealth, uh, wealth management being a very strong component of bank earnings with, with markets obviously doing well. So very long pointed to say, you know, it's a very healthy um, corner of the market, continues to, to, to be very healthy. We have three more companies uh, reporting through more big banks. And I think the, the baseline expectation is they're all going to raise dividends. And and get back on that track of dividend growth that has been such an you know an effective uh, strategy for Canadian investors. So you know with our ZEB mark, I think it's perfectly timed with our our fee discount down to 25 basis points. Hope I got that right. 25 basis points on the ZEB, or if you want the cover call overlays at WB with more income closer to that six percent yield, that's another option there as well. But you know continue to think you know Omicron notwithstanding, the tailwinds are at the banks back. If for some reason this does become a bigger risk, you know, we, Canadian banks are very, very well capitalized and, and you saw how they, they've dealt with challenges in the past and they've dealt with them very effectively. So very strong, very strong quarter it's looking like for Canadian bank earnings. And, and again, another, I think, segment of the market that investors can lean into for, um, for allocating in their portfolio. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And, you know, we always end up talking about worries and concerns in the markets. It's great that that's such a positive story. And I know a lot of advisors have been getting behind that trade. And as you mentioned, with that fee reduction on ZEB, really just more momentum to to use the ETF uh, to do so. So that's great. Thank you. Another one that uh, we've been asked for an update on, perhaps on the back of just going through Black Friday now, Cyber Monday. And Hopefully everyone's getting their holiday shopping started. But what are your thoughts on the consumer discretionary sector? And can you tie that into our our global consumer discretionary ETF, DISC? Thanks. Yeah, so uh, the consumer discretionary sector is definitely, you know, a sector that's getting a lot of tailwinds right now. Um, So Black Friday and Cyber Monday are definitely going to be, definitely going to be helpful for the sector overall. Um, You know, DISC or ETF. Um, Amazon is the second largest holding in that ETF. So as we all know, you know, Amazon essentially is creating a monopoly on consumer shopping. So they're definitely going to benefit from you know, Black Friday, um, Cyber Monday as well. Um, but two other names that are going to be well positioned um, for the fourth quarter are Target and Walmart. Um, so typically when you look at the performance of these two stocks um, over the last 10 years, uh, they tend to have a lot of seasonality in Q4 and also some stronger performance in Q1 as well. So they typically benefit from this, you know, quote, unquote, um, Santa Claus rally. Um, As I mentioned, that performance typically carries over into the new year as well. So um, from a timing factor, this generally tends to be good for those uh, consumer discretionary related stocks. But overall, when you look at DISC, um, it's a good way to play the broader economic trend. So when you look at a lot of the economic numbers, so the U.S. unemployment numbers, for example, uh, the last reported number was 4.7%. So it's down significantly from, you know, where we saw it in the height of the pandemic. But, um, you know, when you look at where the unemployment number was prior to COVID, it was at 3.5%. So that def- definitely indicates that there's you know, room for improvement. Um, there's more uh, slack in the economy that could be tightened as well. Um, consumer confidence is also a lot higher compared to a year ago as well. So that should be uh, very beneficial for the consumer discretionary sector as a whole. Um, but a lot of the names within DISC, I think they're you know well positioned for uh, the uptick uh, in consumer spending. So uh, if you look at names like Nike, uh, it's a good example where um, if you look at the earnings for Nike, definitely have accelerated after the fourth quarter last year. Uh, Lululemon's another good example where 
Um, typically, it has very strong uh, Q4 revenues. The expectations for uh, 2022 earnings is expected to grow by 50%. Um, so I think overall, DISC is a, it's a good way for investors to get um, exposure to, to a sector that we you know, just don't have exposure to in, in Canada. So you know, when you look at the TSX, consumer discretionary only makes up about 3.4% of the TSX. So this is a good way to plug those gaps in your portfolio and get a very complementary position as well. And you know, the, the way I would look at it is DISC is essentially you're getting some of the best consumer discretionary uh, companies in the world, but because it's currency hedged, you also mitigate a lot of that currency-specific risk as well. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Some good thoughts there. And certainly an ETF that perhaps we don't talk about enough, uh, but a different exposure in the marketplace that uh, we can really get behind as we look at certain sector rotation strategies with DISC. Now, another one I wanted to come back to as we have talked about tax loss harvesting on one of these calls. Um, but for advisors that are looking to move out of positions and perhaps park money over the short term, uh, can you give us your thoughts on, on cash as an asset class? Certainly challenging in a low rate environment, but uh, how do you anticipate cash being used in the portfolios coming into year end and beyond? Thanks. Yeah, so cash, I would say, is a very useful asset class in the portfolio. I think where you see a market where there is a lot of volatility, a lot of people, you know, when they sell a position, they don't necessarily move into a position right away. So having you know, a cash or a cash-like position um, definitely helps investors to you know, park their assets uh, while they could uh, wait for better opportunities to rise or wait for you know, the market to stabilize. Um, so, you know, a cash-like instrument is definitely very helpful. So today we just recently launched ZMMK, which is our uh, money market ETF. So with this ETF, it's essentially uh, holds cash for cash-like instruments. Um, I think in, in terms of um, tax loss harvesting, I think it's a very useful tool because um, one benefit is that uh, if you sell securities that are trading at a loss, the benefit is that you know, once you sell it, you get to crystallize those losses and take those losses and apply it to against capital gains in, in other parts of your portfolio. But having a cash-like instrument like ZMMK um, allows investors just to you know, park their cash while they figure out a better position to be in. So um, it gives them more time, uh, gives them more flexibility in terms of not forcing them to you know, move into another stock right away. Um, but outside of that, I think you know a lot of investors have been hesitant to move into things like um, you know, short-term bonds, given that um, interest rate volatility has picked up significantly. So a lot of people that, you know, are hesitant to, to using bonds or bond-like ETFs in their portfolio, I think, you know, a cash-like instrument is going to provide them with an alternative um, until interest rate volatility subsides a little bit. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. And as you mentioned, we just brought out a new ticker, ZMMK, uh, listing today as a money market option for those think it's it's of value as you potentially look at tax loss harvesting perhaps you want to just park that uh, the proceeds for a short period of time all right i think we've got time for uh, one more question today let's turn to the comments made by by powell uh looks like perhaps volatility might pick up well we've certainly seen that over the last few days anyways I had some great comments already on quality and dividends, but anything that you would add further in respect to those comments? Thanks. 
look at what happened to the VIX, and we've been talking about the overall equity volatility backdrop, you know, how in general the cover call strategies, writing options has been an attractive way to generating income with, with volatility elevated. You know, as we know, it was really elevated in last March. And if you look at what happened last Friday, you saw a similar type dynamic, VIX got to about 30, and it's kind of lingering in the 20s now. Um, so that, you know, it's just one nice kind of, as we know, volatility is, is kind of a four-letter word when it comes to equities and, and, and you know, often fixed income for that matter, um, you know, apart from the more defensive segments of fixed income, which are, are really there to shelter net asset value. Um, but one thing that we can, you know, do with to harness volatility is, is right call options. So we can, um, you know, stay in those same dividend strategies or some of which have a quality bias as well, such as, say, our BMO premium yield. Um, writing options to generate income um, can be, you know, something that we can actually do quite profitably in markets with higher volatility. And, you know, I do think the volatility profile uh, of markets, you know, as it's related to Fed policy is, you know, I think that's going to probably be a hallmark of markets over the next year. You know, you saw yesterday Powell, he took, he took the word transit, transitory off the table with regards to inflation. You know, he also noted, you know, basically he has no idea how Omicron is going to work out and, and, and how that's going to play through the market as well. So there's you know, uncertainty with regards to COVID, but, you know, just the simple uncertainty and volatility with respect to tapering, which is happening first, you know, they're going to meet in December and decide whether to increase the pace of tapering and then rate hikes next year. You know, I think it's going to overall, um, you know, increase volatility in the market. So, um, you know, again, how do you play that? I still like leaning into quality and dividends, as we talked about off the top. Uh, but from an income generation approach, I don't think it's a very attractive market where we can, um, you know, generate decent call option premiums, you know, on our cover call strategies, an extra three to 4% of, of tax efficient yield from the option overlay. And then you just add that to the dividend of the portfolio, whatever it happens to be, whether it's, you know, two, three, four percent. And, you know, it's a great set of products yielding six to 7% and can give you a lot of, you know, attractive um, characteristics and, and monetize that volatility. And BMO premium yield is another one I would, you know, highlight as well with that quality overlay, very defensive in regards to like a pure equity strategy only has about a third of equities right now, um, but very, um, you know, effective at generating income yielding about uh, just over 6%. So, you know, a couple, you know, definitely things, a lot to chew on for investors these days, but I, I think some added tools that can um, give you different ways to to approach and, and get the results you want out of the markets. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And, you know, I really do have to emphasize the, the convenience aspect of using the, the cover call or the option overlay ETFs, certainly for advisors, the ability to then focus on their clients and their practice as opposed to Setting option positions is, is a great way to, to really improve their day-to-day. So using these covered call ETFs and, and even premium yield is a, is a great tool for them to have now. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. Of course, thanks to both Chris and Alfred. Some really insightful comments today. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of hot topics in the market right now. So certainly did a great job uh, bouncing between those. So I'd just like to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris Heeks, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about prudent defensive approaches in response to continuing pandemic uncertainty. 
as well as opportunistic trades such as the BMO Equal Weight U.S. Healthcare Hedge to Canadian Dollar Index ETF, ticker ZUH, or its unhedged version, ZHU. In the afterglow of a spirited Black Friday and Cyber Monday, our experts point to BMO's Global Consumer Discretionary ETF, ticker DISC or DISC. And finally, the team offered a solution for short-term cash from tax loss selling, BMO's brand new money market ETF, ticker ZMMK. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.